Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, July 26th, 2016. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Boston, Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by SeatGeek. SeatGeek has made it easier than ever before to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, what's great about SeatGeek is the price you see is the price you get. Most sites will try to surprise you at checkout with these outrageous fees, but not SeatGeek. So make sure you download the free SeatGeek app right now and get a $20 rebate on tickets by using the promo code PICARD. That's right, as in my last name, PICARD. So here in Boston, the Red Sox are wrapping up a homestand in which they'll play tonight against Detroit, and they will then play tomorrow afternoon. That's a 135 first pitch at Fenway. Steven Wright on the mound for the Red Sox tonight. Eduardo Rodriguez on the mound for the Sox tomorrow on Wednesday. If you're looking to go to either of these two games, you got to do it and get your tickets on the SeatGeek app because not only can you get $20 off by using my promo code, but... If you set the alert right now for the entire series and the rest of the homestand, which I know is only two games, so it's very short, but if you set the alert, SeatGeek is going to keep you updated when the ticket prices fall, so you get that deal, guaranteed to get the best deal possible, and you get the $20 off by using my last name on the promo code. Let's say you don't want to go to a sporting event, you want to go to a concert in any city, at any venue, or maybe it is a sporting event with any other team in any city, at any stadium, any sport, doesn't matter. You can still use my promo code for those tickets as well. SeatGeek is the first place that I always go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. It should be the first place you go as well, SeatGeek. So I'm going to get into some Red Sox. I'm going to get into some baseball not only will I react to last night's 4-2 loss to the Detroit Tigers at Fenway, Drew Pomeranz, he was better. But, you know what? Through one bad pitch to Jose Iglesias in the sixth inning, that did him in. I'll react to that. Uh, I'll react to that loss. And I also want to get to the Chris Sale stuff because he did talk about, they say he apologized. Really wasn't an apology. But I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with what he said. In fact, I love what he said. I loved what he said. Chris Sale, I supported him on yesterday's podcast, and I'm going to do it even more so today. So stick around for that. Uh, There's another Major League Baseball trade I'm going to tell you about. There's a little bit of NBA news with a new contract, somebody in the NBA with a new contract. I'll talk about all of that. But first, Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. He covers the New England Patriots, and he will be doing so beginning this week for training camp. Patriots training camp begins this week. NFL training camps begin this week, so here we go. We're getting right into some football, but Mike Giotti joined me over the phone this morning. We talked Patriots. We went back a little bit to Deflategate, even get into some of the Peyton Manning stuff, but uh, here's my conversation with Mike Giotti. Enjoy it and stick around afterwards because, again, I'll talk some baseball, including Red Sox, and even react to the newest Chris Sale news in which they're saying he apologizes, but like I told you, he didn't really apologize. And yet, I'm just fine with that. So, here's my conversation with Mike Giotti. And again, stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England as he gets set to cover Patriots training camp, which begins this week. Uh, Mike, what's going on? Thanks for joining me today. 
Hey, last uh, last free day of no football for let's say about six months. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so you are you ready for yeah. this? Like, does this sneak up on you? You know, summertime, vacation. You know, you go on the beach. Next thing you know, you got to be at Gillette Stadium every day. I mean, is this yeah, too, is this too early or what? No, nah, it's not too early, but it definitely does. Kind of all of a sudden, you know, like you get right at the tail end of my vacation in July. All of a sudden, you're like, wow, that's only like ten days away. We're about to do this thing and Last week I had a little bit of, uh, oh boy, it's gonna be a long one. And then now I'm ready. You know, just uh, you, you look at the enormity of what lies ahead and the road trips and so forth and so on. And then if you if you look at it like that, it can be a little overwhelming. But then you know what? I just love the game, so let's let's do it. And uh, all eyes will be on the quarterback situation. But before I get to that and what we should expect to see from Brady and Garoppolo during training camp and preseason. Mike, I want to take you back to a couple weeks ago where Tom Brady essentially gave up the the Deflategate fight and accepted the four-game Deflategate suspension. What was your reaction to that? Uh, I guess in the in the immediacy of it, I was surprised because I think, like most, I thought he was just going to take it to the end. I thought that's why he brought on Ted Olson to the legal team. I just... Um, I guess I never really truly, once they got to that point, I just never really considered the the, the potential for him to stand down. Um, but I guess there is something to it that makes sense, Danny, in the sense that, you know, he was afraid that, it, you know, for whatever reason, and I'm sure they read the tea leaves, hmm. that even if it did get as far as they wanted to, that if the thing got upheld again and he was suspended after getting a stay, that that suspension can come at any point during the year. And if it happened in December, um, then you're talking about playoff football or you're talking about meaningful games in December that could shape home field. And I just, maybe that's the reason why I, you know, I don't think we really have a, a definitive explanation and I'm not really sure we're ever going to get one. Well, we, he had a pretty star studded uh, group of lawyers there. I mean, he kept adding a new one. It felt like every single week. And, and I guess the way I look at it is, you know, if if they told Tom Brady that, look, we got a chance to win this still, I don't think Tom Brady would have given up the fight. So I guess the way I look at it, at least from the outside looking in, with no knowledge of the situation and the conversations that they have behind closed doors, they must have told him, you know, this star-studded cast of lawyers, they must have told Tom Brady that there's really not a very good chance they win this, right? Yeah, I mean, that has to be it, right? I mean, that... <laughs> Are you going to continue to push and spend money and emotional time and energy on something that really doesn't matter what you do? They're not going to. They're not going to take away, you know, Article Rule Forty Six from 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 Goodell, and you you guys signed the deal, and that's the way it's going to be, and you're not going to win. So that that had to be it. It just again, it it, it surprised me because Olson wasn't brought along that far ago. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago they brought him into the camp and you figured that's really what it was for was preparing for the Supreme court. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because I think as we've spent 500 and whatever days on this, that it ever got to this point. Mm-hmm. And it, it's crazy to think that the best quarterback of his generation is going to be sitting on the well. He's not even going to be sitting on the sidelines. He's going to be sitting in his home, uh, watching games on TV if he can stomach that for the first four weeks of the season because of air pressure and footballs that was never proved. And he's, one way or the other. Yeah, and look, Brady cannot be at the stadium 
can't be with teammates during the suspension. I mean, he can't be at the facilities. Can't can't even have contact with players or coaches uh, for the four weeks during the regular season. The first four weeks. So I mean, what do you do? Like like how how do you get it? Can you get around that? Is there a way where maybe you know we can expect Tom Brady to break that rule and find a way into the facility or find a way to keep in contact with someone? How do you handle this if you're not just Brady, but also the Patriots? What what are they going to do with Tom Brady in those first four weeks, Mike? Well, I mean, the the I, I would the rule player, the, the the go by the rule book guy would say you would hope they would abide by all the rules that the NFL set down. But when you know I've dealt with some league people here and some people in the in the players' association over the last week week and a half trying to find out exactly what he can and cannot do. Which you know, I posted on tsnne.com. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these things just, I, I think they're very hard to enforce. So I think if they really wanted to get around, maybe not necessarily coming into the facility, but somehow getting him tape of games and breakdown of players and things of that nature that they get on a on a daily basis in Foxborough, uh, I think that would be pretty hard to to enforce and to prove. And I also think that by the same token, um, and, I, and again, it's a little bit different because players practice and I'm not sure after they practice, they want to go drive to, to Tom's compound and run routes for Tom in his backyard. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that's illegal. They're not supposed to do that. But according to the NFL, uh, according to the NFL, but I mean, what's to stop them? Yeah. You're going to tail Julian Edelman to, to, Tom Brady's house, you can have a camera affixed to the light post outside of Brady's driveway to make sure certain guys aren't coming in and out. I mean, I just, I think some of this stuff is, if they really wanted to, I think they could get around some of it. You know what's funny about this? And and I think the same way you just did, like, what is somebody going to be sitting out at all times doing a a detail, a police detail in front of uh, Tom Brady's house, maybe in an undercover fashion? Like, are they going to have an NFL security uh, per- right. personnel like outside in some suspicious car or whatever it may be down the street just sort of watching Tom Brady's house and and I roll my eyes and think no way they're going to do that and then the more I think about it and the more I think about how they went after Tom Brady because of the air pressure in footballs I guess I, I, I talk myself into believing that maybe maybe the NFL would that's how much they're trying to get Tom Brady yeah, I suppose. I just, I mean, uh, I'm gathering the neighborhood he lives in too. It's probably, uh, if someone was sitting around in a car out there, it probably would attract all kinds of undue attention. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. All the stuff that we've had to come to learn about the CBA and, uh, these emails and the text messages and all the sorts of things that, you know, it, it is sort of the, uh, secret, secret agent kind of crap that, I didn't think I'd ever have to deal with as a uh, sports reporter. Yeah, and you know what's funny about it all is that the whole Deflategate investigation was as public as as you could possibly make any investigation, and yet we got this Peyton Manning ruling from the NFL yesterday that says you know mm. there's no they found no evidence of him taking PEDs or you know HGH in that whole Al Jazeera report with Charlie Sly, and they're not going to make any parts of that investigation public. I. Why? I don't under, I just don't understand it. They just went out of their way to make a an investigation about air pressure in football public and yet something as serious as performance enhancing drugs even though it's a former player it's it still includes a, a bunch of other players. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't make that investigation public as well. 
Well, I would. Well, for starters, I think you and I are probably both in the same camp of they don't want to catch him. If they did catch him, they don't want to put that mm-hmm. uh, mark on this past season and the Super Bowl. And you know, he's probably going to be heavily involved in in television broadcasts in the future, and you don't want to bring that stain. I think the other thing now too is for the players that are also named uh, in the Charlie Sly report, if you will, um, you know, what's to stop them if they get busted from then turning around and being like, well, Charlie told me Peyton was doing it. You know, I, I almost think all those guys are going to be free and clear because they're all attached to the same guy who was attached to Peyton Manning. And I don't think they want to catch Manning. Well, I think they just proved they don't want to catch Manning. Mm. And I think, they're not going to want to catch anybody else because of the potential repercussions of that. Yeah. Hey, I look, I followed that Al Jazeera story. I actually, you know, I watched the whole thing. I just didn't watch the Peyton Manning pot. I think if you watch the whole thing to me, Charlie Sly knows what he's talking about. Like I, I don't, I, I don't watch that whole thing and think, Oh wow. Charlie Sly, you know, he's making stuff up. Uh, this guy's lying about everything. He didn't even know he's being recorded. Mike, he didn't know. Right. And then they went yep. to his house. They sent two hit, basically hitmen. I'll, I'll call them hitmen. Ari Fleischer, Peyton Manning. They sent two hitmen to Charlie Sly's house, and they make him, you know, come up with this recording of things he didn't even know he said because the Al Jazeera report wasn't even out yet. I mean, to me, I tweeted this yesterday, it's more probable than not that Charlie Sly knows what he's talking about and that the NFL and Roger Goodell are full of shit in this situation. I mean, it, it sounds like you... Maybe you feel the same way. I mean, how do you, when you look back at the Al Jazeera report, did you think that was all just a bunch of BS or, or how did you look at that video and that hour long report and, and react to it at the time? I mean, the, the only thing that, that struck me in, in regards to, I, I look, I buy anything when it comes to PEDs and yeah. I'm, I'm in the, if you're not using, I'd be surprised, you know, across all sports and all platforms, I think. Uh, the, the money is too great, the testing is too infrequent or too suspect, and chemists are way ahead of the, of the deal. I mean, all the things that we've talked about for the last 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, um, I, I'm very much in the camp that I think pretty much everybody's using, and I, I, I just picked everything on that. Um, the one thing I would say about the report is it surprised me that, that Manning was sort of buried within that. Like, if he really had an incredible amount of goods on Peyton Manning, you would put that out front and center because, I mean, as we saw, I grabbed the headlines anyways. Mm-hmm. I think it would have even grabbed more headlines. However, when you go through some of what went on in that tape and in that report, I mean, look, this is shady operation with shady people and with athletes trying to get an edge. I mean, I buy almost all of it. It just, I just think that's the nature of the beast now. I think that's, and I think we've come to find that out if we don't have our head in the sand, that, that this is the way professional sports operates now. Speaking with Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England, Peyton Manning no longer playing, as everybody knows. Tom Brady is, yet he suspended the first four games of this season. So now, Mike, as we get ready for training camp this week and the first training camp practice on Thursday at Gillette Stadium, you know, I, this is the top story to watch, you know, how they use these quarterbacks. And I guess, you know, I'll ask you, how do you expect them to use Brady and Garoppolo when it comes to playing with the ones? Because we know now Garoppolo is going to be playing the, the first four games of the season. So uh, how, how do you expect them to use these two guys during training camp and in the preseason? 
I think we see a similar approach that we saw last year. I think, you know, there was, um, you know, obviously at that point, Brady was still under shroud of suspension and, and we were going into the year, even though you thought there was a chance that he was going to get it overturned, you're still going into the year as Garoppolo is the guy. Um, and I think you saw last year, Garoppolo get a fair amount of reps with the ones, but Brady still had the lion's share early on. And I think you're going to get something similar because I think they have to do everything they can to put Brady in the best possible position in terms of the number of reps uh, early in camp. And I think as you shift into the latter part, the second half of camp, um, you know, that week three preseason game, that more and more attention will have to be focused on Garoppolo and getting Garoppolo ready. But look, with all the stuff that they have to do nowadays, mm-hmm. we talk about building chemistry. We you know, there's all these things, these little catchphrases and keywords and uh, narratives that we use in in sports media and journalism. Um, they spend so much time doing stuff year round now. You know, whether you're under the flag of the Patriots and you're working out at the facility, or if you're in LA, Jimmy Garoppolo playing catch with Julian Edelman and running routes out there. I think. Uh, some of that stuff can be overstated. I think really what it comes down to is when they actually start playing Garoppolo's grasp on the offense, his ability to change things on the fly, his ability to adjust when defenses adjust to him. I think those are the things that we'll be looking for. And even to that degree in preseason, you don't necessarily see because people don't ramp it up to 100% with their schemes and what they're trying to bring to the table come week one. So you're going to learn some, but really we're going to learn the most about Jimmy Garoppolo when he steps under center on September 11th in Arizona in that night game against the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, if you're the Patriots, you've got to just trust the fact that Tom Brady is, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And then when, when he steps back in there in week five, he's, you know, he's going to be ready to go. And if, you know, there's a little rest week five, he'll be ready to go 100% in week six and week seven. I mean, you have to trust that, right? And basically say, Garoppolo needs to get all... To, uh, to me, I, I I need to see Garoppolo getting most of the reps with the ones. Like You need to get him into this role, and you need to get him ready for the first four weeks. More than you need to... To, to me, you don't even need to worry about Brady, in my opinion. I, I mean, I really don't think you do. I think you just need to trust the fact that he'll be ready to go because he's been there, done that, and he's played w- with you know a lot of these guys, and he's Tom Brady at the end of the day, so... I mean, do you agree with that, that that's what they should do? Garoppolo needs to get as much playing time with the ones and, in fact, don't even worry about Brady because he'll be fine. I think that they – I don't want to say they worry about Brady. I just think he is such a slave to the process, and he talks about it constantly, about how you build your team and how you build what kind of season you're going to have, and it starts in the off season, and it, you, know, you just keep building one on top of the other. And I think to say, you go over here – and you don't really work with these guys who you're going to be working with starting in week five is runs really counter to how he wants to do it. And I think that's where you're going to have the, the push and pull. And I guess we'll, we'll see who wins out. I mean, obviously Belichick's in charge of the whole scheme and runs the whole show. So he's going to have the final say, but Tom has more pull than any player that's ever walked through the door here for, for obvious reasons. Mm. And I'm just curious to see how those two guys make it work because Again, Brady wants every rep he can get. And the situation that he's in is going to prevent him from getting any reps for four weeks once the season starts. I just, I, I can't see them completely ignoring him 
on that front with the ones here during the course of preseason. Yeah, but I just I try to put myself in Brady's shoes, and I think that if I'm Brady, like I don't want to step in week five and be zero and four, or or even one and three. So I think I almost have to also trust myself that I'll be ready to go and do the things necessary to be able to go because I've you know been there, done that. And and I think if I'm Brady, I know what you're saying. Like he wants to get those reps, he wants to be the guy, he doesn't want to take any time off. But at the same time, I mean. He knows he's not playing the first four weeks. If I'm Brady, I'm saying, guys, you got to get this kid ready because I do not want to step in here and be a one and three team and be, you know, and be an an 0 and 4 team. I mean, three of the first four games are at home. I'm going to miss three home games here. So I I just, you got to do, if I'm Brady, I'm saying, do everything you can to get this kid ready. I'll be fine. I'm going to step back. I'll be ready week five, but get him ready for the first four weeks. That's the way I would think he'd handle it. Uh, it's not in his nature, or at least it hasn't been. Here's the one thing, though, and, and I talk about the, you know, the progression you make. I, I think if Bill Belichick decides, I'm going to approach this the same way I approached it last year, and then we'll adjust as we get closer to the regular season and Jimmy definitely being the guy that has the ball. If you see in the first two weeks of training camp that Garoppolo is struggling and is not where you need him to be, then he's going to have to adjust and get him – more time and more reps to make sure that he is prepared for that. So I think it's one of those things where it probably looks a certain way. They probably in in his head are putting it down on a piece of paper. This is how we're going to approach it. But I think a lot's going to depend on how Garoppolo operates and how he looks in the early part of training camp in terms of his comfort level and his command of what he's supposed to be doing out there, because you're right. Then that's where it becomes a situation where look, man, Tom, I'm going to have to trust you're going to be ready because right now he's not. And I got to make sure he's ready because he is the guy for four weeks. I think the other thing is we spend so much time on this. Mm-hmm. And I was on the air the other day and I made people some rolls to my eyes at me. And some people bought in that I, I think three and one is very possible. I don't even think four and oh is out of the realm of possibility. And I say that not because of Garoppolo and, and my belief in Garoppolo, although maybe I feel better about him as a player right now than some do, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about the rest of what they have, Danny. And that's, to me, this team is probably on paper better than the one that won the Super Bowl two years ago. And yeah, you're, you don't have the Darrell Revis, the big name, you know, Brown or some of these guys, but I think the kids that you showed last year, if they continue to make that improvement, you have a group of players that, is as equal to anything that you've run through here. And I don't even know how long, probably since going back to the 07, 08 season. I mean, you look at Malcolm Brown developing into what I think, I think he's going to be a star on the defensive line. You have Sheard, Collins, Hightower, the, the list goes, Nikovich, the list goes on and on. Butler, Ryan, McCourty. There are so many players in the prime of their careers. There's so many players who are maybe on the back end of their prime. That's still the way you, Use them the way you use guys like Ninkovich, you're able to max out their ability. And then you turn around on the offensive side of the ball and you say, You got Edelman, you got Gronk, you got Amendola, you got Deion Lewis coming back from, from the knee. Uh, you brought back LeGarrette Blunt to cheap money. I mean, th- there are so many different pieces in place for this team to be an exceptional team, even if they got slightly above average quarterback play. So I think that's one of the things that 
people are going to focus on the quarterback, rightfully so, but there are so many other good and important pieces in place that they should still be very dangerous here in the first four weeks. Well, you might have already answered it based on we know how you feel about Garoppolo and you're very high on him. Um, I guess I'm still waiting to see, but you've seen more of him at practices in person than I have, so you, you would know more about that. I've only seen what I've seen you know, on TV maybe in the preseason, and uh, I, I guess I, I'm just, I don't know the answer to the question, is Garoppolo going to be any good as, an, as a starting NFL quarterback in the regular season? I don't have the answer to that question. Yeah, I, I, I would lean, I would lean to, to yes, but I'm not, I'm not delusional. I think we're still going to have to, it's one of those situations where, again, how do you react in the moment? And that first moment in Arizona is a big one. Mm-hmm. You, they can go to Arizona and lose the football game. They can't go to to Arizona and lose the football game 37 to three. And he can't throw three picks. You know, there, there, there are varying degrees. He has to show that there's he's all this stuff that he's learned over the last two years and the way he sort of morphed his game to look more like Brady and the way he sort of comports himself in the pocket and in the huddle, that that translates to when it actually matters, because we can talk about, preseason you can talk about how he looks in training camp and he goes 28 for 32 on one day in minicamp and everybody wants to go crazy that's great it beats the alternative but until it actually happens on a game field you're right there is an absolute it's unproven we don't know now you got to show well my my questions come with turnovers because I don't know what his decision making is going to be like in the big spot as the top dog on the Senate in the NFL in a regular season game, especially that opener, you know, in against a very good Arizona team on the road with everybody watching. And um, one thing this team, you know, isn't used to is a quarterback who, who's making mental mistakes and turning the ball over left and right. So I guess I just wonder how will the rest of the team react if they have a quarterback that, that might make some bad decisions and, and I, I guess I might sort of expect him to make some bad decisions at some point here in the first four weeks, given the fact that, again, this is going to be sort of his debut in the, in the spotlight as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I just wonder, how is this team going to be able to handle their quarterback turning the ball over at a higher rate than Tom Brady would? But th- that said, me expecting it, I also wonder, how short would the leash be knowing you have Brissett right behind him? I mean, do, do you think, Brissett is is going to see any time, or I mean, again, how short is that leash going to be with Garoppolo? I don't think it's going to be that short. In, uh, and I say that well, there's two things here. I think one does does Brissett come in and show a an advanced command of what he's doing? That's that's one, and that's something that no one can even assess uh, through you know what we've seen thus far in mini camps and so forth. I think the other thing is, if he's not ready, then I think that they're forced to go out and do what they've done in the past, what they did last year when it was still in question when they, they went out and signed uh, Matt Flynn. I think they may have to go search for a veteran arm if he's not ready. So that, and and those guys are, let's face it, those guys are stopgap guys. Those guys are, you know, break glass in case of an emergency. The Tyler Palcos of the world, uh, they're still kicking around. Mm-hmm. So. I think Brissett's one of the, you know, like if we talk about the quarterback position and all eyes on Jimmy, I think I mean, all eyes on Brissett too to see how advanced he is and how quickly he can learn because if you remember, Garoppolo's first camp was pretty brutal and then he the first preseason game, he and Sims had some fun and then from that point on, Garoppolo was a different guy in the preseason 
a different guy in practices. It was like all of a sudden, I don't want to say click, but there was a, a level of confidence and he was just a little bit more self-assured. And I think that's something you're going to have to monitor with Brissett because in an ideal world, they don't have to go out and find a veteran arm just to back up Garoppolo. And in the ideal world, Garoppolo takes the job. It's his for four weeks. Brissett shows enough in preseason that, that if you had to, if, if something happened with Garoppolo during a game injury-wise, you could go to him and he could get you in the run formation and get the ball where it's supposed to go and and you know you live with that for for the short term um but that's again they're they're all that position is quite a bit of unknowns as opposed to what we're used to in the past which is it's brady you're you're all good what i mean what's the other what's the biggest thing outside of the quarterback spot because obviously the quarterback spot's the biggest thing outside of that is there one area where you're saying all right i'm going to focus most of my, my attention watching this as you go down to gillette as you sit in that sweaty media tent, right? Um, like, like, what else, What are you going to be watching for? What's the biggest thing outside of the quarterback situation with this Patriots team? I'm curious to see about maybe the uh, – I apologize. My dog is getting all cranked up. I, uh, I, I'm curious to see how the guys that are going into the last year of their deal sort of comport themselves. I think it's, a, it's an unknown situation, I think. You know, we, you and I spent some time talking about this a couple months ago when, you know, you heard some rumblings that guys weren't happy, and now here you are in, in late July, and there's been no deals and no extensions. How do these guys deal? I mean, I, I look at them and I say, you know, I don't know enough about Jimmy Collins, I and mean, no one does. I've told you this before, just to tell you how he's going to react and what his mindset is and what, what what's important to him. But guys like Hightower and Butler, you know, they give their soul for the team and they have, but how do they feel going into a contract year where, you know, you're one quick knee away from losing out on, on major money. Mm. And that's, um, I don't think they're the kind of guys that would uh, pull the protect myself first and worry about the team second. But I, I don't know that for a fact. So I'm, I'm really sort of intrigued to see how they, they handle themselves here, not just in camp, but as the season gets rolling around and you start dealing with things. Because physically, let's face it, you will deal with things over the course of the year. All right, Mike. Um, football season, it, it, it has begun. And I hope you enjoy your final day of no football. But I got one more for you before I let you go. It's baseball related. Yeah. Because still, even though Patriots report to camp this week, my main focus, like I wake up every day still thinking about what Dave Dombrowski could and should do with the Boston Red Sox as the Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline is next Monday, August 1st. Fine, real quick here. Do you think the Sox are done dealing, and do you think they should be done dealing? I don't think they're done dealing, and I don't think they should be done dealing. I think the the, the deal for Pomerantz, to me, signals, and I'm, I'm still a little dubious of it, but it signaled they think that, that they can win this and that they're all in. And I think when you look at the questions in, in, in thoughts in the bullpen, um, you know, Koji, Kazawa's had a habit of, he's already broken down once, and he's had a habit of fading late in the year. You look at some of those other arms that they've been trotting out of the bullpen, aside from Ziegler, and you get scared. I think that's an area of concern. And I think, look, if, if I, I think the call, I don't think the White Sox are going to trade Chris Sale unless you absolutely blow them away. But I think there are other situations to monitor. And I think, you know, if, this, if they decide they can't live with him, and want to make a move, I don't know how much you give up for him. Certainly wouldn't give up. Uh, I know some people are throwing around like Mookie Betts. I wouldn't, you know, Betts and Bogarts are untouchable as far as I'm concerned. But um, 
I think you have to keep exploring those sorts of things because, like I said, they signal that they're all in. I don't think you can then sit, sit here and say, you know, days before the trade deadline, no, 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 we're good, we're good. No, you're not. There's still other things you can do to make sure that you're one of those last teams standing, and then, you know, you see what happens. All right, Mike, uh, thanks a lot. Great stuff, as always, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, Dan. Great stuff right there from Mike Giotti, Comcast, Sportsnet, New England. Now, as we turn the page from football to baseball, the Major League Baseball non-waiver trade deadline is next Monday. So we're less than a week away. I'm keeping my eye on all the trade rumors and anything that goes down. I'm going to react to it on this very podcast. I promise you that. Now, a little programming note. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on WEEI from 6 to 10. I'm filling in on the 6 to 10 p.m. time slot. So I will not be here on this podcast tomorrow because I do have something else going on in the morning, early afternoon, and there's just not enough time. Uh, I know some people think I just jump in here and do this show and then we throw it right online. That's not how it works. It takes a little bit more time than some people think. So uh, I got to go to WEI 6 to 10 tomorrow night. So no podcast tomorrow. I'll be back on the podcast on Thursday to wrap up the week, Thursday and Friday. But again, any other Major League Baseball trade rumors, I'll react also on WEI tomorrow night. But for right now, let's look back at last night. The Red Sox lose to the Tigers 4-2. This was a game in which the Red Sox took a 1-0 lead in the second inning on a Travis Shaw RBI double to right field that scored Jackie Bradley Jr., Drew Pomerantz, all eyes are on him, making his second Red Sox start. His first start began well with three solid innings, but the fourth inning was downright terrible against the Giants last Wednesday. And I told you what I was curious to see in this game tonight, in his second Red Sox start. I was curious to see how he'd be able to bounce back from a lot of the criticism that he received the day after his start, the day after that terrible and pathetic fourth inning last week against the Giants. Would he be feeling the pressure? Would he be somebody that's going to let that pressure get to his head? Would this be someone that basically wouldn't be able to take it in this town, take the criticism that goes along with playing in this town, which is so much different than the places he previously played, San Diego, Oakland, Colorado? Would he be able to handle that? I'm, I was very curious to see, and I even told you going in to the first start, like it wasn't really about what type of success he was going to have. We know he's a, you know, this season is sort of a breakout season for him. He was an all-star. You know it's in the toolbox. You know his physical capabilities. When he does struggle, my biggest question was, how is he going to bounce back? Well, he struggled right away. So we're going to get the answer to that question right away as well. And last night, I got the answer to that question. Drew Pomeranz, six innings, allowed four hits, allowed two runs, walked two guys, struck out seven, Really used that curveball down and into right-handed hitters, or just down to right-handed hitters, and get him to swing and miss. It's a big pitch for him. I even saw at least one strikeout. He pumped it up to 93. He's not going to give you 93 every time, around 90 to 92. But the one bad pitch, the mistake pitch that he made, and I keep telling you, if you don't have overpowering stuff, sometimes even if you do, if you don't have movement on it, you know, if you're putting a fastball, in a place that it can be hit, a lot of major league hitters are going to hit it. And last night, Jose Iglesias, he took an 88-mile-per-hour, I, I mean, I believe it was a fastball that just didn't have much juice on it. Pomeranz kept it inside, and 
Iglesias going to get the bat around on that, and he just roped it, a two-run home run in the sixth inning. It gave the Tigers a 2-1 to lead, and uh, Pomeranz, what, he got out of the inning, and I guess the game with a strikeout. He went six innings. Can you call it six strong? Yeah, I'm going to call that six strong. A bad pitch to Iglesias. I did like what I saw from Pomeranz. Not, look, it wasn't dominant, but it was good enough to tell me that he is not going to be someone that's going to get rattled under the pressures of playing in this town. He's not. He was going up against Justin Verlander last night. Uh, Verlander brought his stuff, six innings, five hits, only allowed one run, walked two, struck out five, threw 110 pitches. To, you know, they left him out there. What he faced? Travis Shaw in that to end that sixth inning. You know, usually you go to the bullpen in that spot, but it's Verlander, and he's your top dog. You stick with him, and he dialed it up to 97 and blew it by Travis Shaw. That's been the story for Justin Verlander. He's got that velocity back, and he showed it in that sixth inning last night, getting his fifth strikeout. So you're going up against Verlander. There's a lot of pressure on you because you struggled in your Red Sox debut, and I thought Pomeranz handled the pressure nicely, and he gave you a nice little start last night. Should have been, you know what, should have, granted, you can look at the timing of the Iglesias home run and say, well, you blew it, you should have had a one-nothing one lead and continued that into the seventh. But you know what, I, I, I think Pomeranz, I'm not going to sit here and crush him today. It was a bad pitch. I like what I saw based on what I was trying to figure out, and what I was trying to figure out was, can this kid handle the pressure? He's got a nice little go-to strikeout pitch with that breaking ball. And um, now we just need to see him even improve on that moving forward. Maybe he won't make that mistake pitch next time. Maybe he will give you six shutout innings, right? So that's something to improve upon. But I did like what I saw from Pomeranz last night, based on what we had saw in that what we saw in that fourth inning of the Red Sox day of his Red Sox debut last Wednesday. I, I I am pleased with what I saw last night. Here's the deal, you know, Joe Kelly comes in out of the pen in the seventh, throwing hundred miles an hour. He got a little. Got a little unlucky. I, got, I thought McCann had a nice... McCann hit a pitch that was inside. Fastball, like 99-100. And he just sort of blooped it up the middle. Scored a run. Right? Uh, and the box score will say single to center. RBI single to center in the seventh that put Detroit up 3-1. I just... You know... it. I mean, it, look, it turns out to be the game-winning hit. Because the Red Sox lose 4-2. But uh, what can you do about that, right? I guess what you can say is, well, don't let, don't let the previous guy on base, maybe. But Joe Kelly, then you go to Buck Colts, he lets up a run. Here's my deal. If you think that this Red Sox team is going to Kelly and Buck Colts in the 7th, 8th, and ninth to try to keep a game close, and you're going to go win out this season and do... You know, have a successful year, you're delusional. I, like, I do not want to see that. I know there have been some struggles and injuries in the bullpen. But moving forward long term, I just don't think, even in a close game that you're losing, you can rely on Kelly to Buckholtz. Like, from the starter to Kelly to Buckholtz and think you're going to win. I, like, it's just not going to happen. So, um, and it didn't happen last night. You lose 4-2. Red Sox, they blew it with a couple spots with bases loaded. And uh, I think... You know what? You just move on. I think you just got to move on from this one. Stephen Wright tonight against righty Mike Pelfrey. Stephen Wright is somebody that's been reliable for you. And he's, what, 7-1 and one with a 3.20 ERA at Fenway this season. Then you look at Mike Pelfrey and what he's bringing in. 
Uh, he tossed seven innings of one-run ball at Fenway last year, and it was one of his strongest outings of the season. When you look at all the numbers of Mike Pelfrey's, Mike Pelfrey's season last year, 2015, I'm going to go with Stephen Wright on this one tonight. I think the Red Sox will win. I think they'll get to Pelfrey, and I think Stephen Wright will pitch one heck of a ball game. But we were looking at Pomeranz last night, and I wanted to see what he had between the ears, and I thought he showed me that he's not someone that's going to get all rattled under the pressure. And there was a lot of pressure on him last night. But now you need to take another step forward and improve upon that. So we keep an eye on the Red Sox. We keep an eye on Dave Dombrowski because you look at the standings right now. The Red Sox are in second place entering today, this Tuesday, July 26th. Red Sox two and a half games behind the Orioles. The Orioles have won five straight. Uh, The Blue Jays in third place. They are a half game behind the Red Sox. They are three games behind Baltimore. Blue Jays have won two straight. And the Blue Jays just acquired Melvin Upton in a trade with the San Diego Padres. Here's my question. When did Melvin Upton go from BJ Upton to Melvin Upton? Like, this is the same guy, right? I saw the trade. I honestly went, Melvin Upton? Who the fuck is Melvin Upton? And why is this news? Oh, it's BJ Upton. Oh, when did that happen? They're saying when he was at Atlanta, with Atlanta? Um, I don't know. I guess I just missed that story. I must have, I don't, was I on, maybe I was on vacation when that happened during the baseball season? I have no idea. I don't know when he changed. I don't, I didn't, I don't remember that. I stopped playing fantasy baseball a couple of years ago, and maybe, so maybe that's why. But, I mean, I follow Major League Baseball pretty good. I just, I, I never knew when that name change came. But Melvin Upton, formerly known as BJ Upton, has been traded from San Diego to Toronto. I mean, I believe, I think that's the same guy, right? I think so. That's the, that's the acquisition Toronto made. Um, so that's the way the standings look. And if you're the Red Sox, I think you still need to go out and try to get another starting pitcher. And I'm not just talking about any old starting pitcher. I'm talking about a stud. Dave Dombrowski can say what he wants. Mike Hazen can say what he wants. The Red Sox front office right now is denying national reports that, you know, they're trying to do something big before Monday's trade deadline. Of course they're going to deny. And of course they're going to tell you they get all these deals coming in and then just not good enough for them. You know, public negotiation is part of negotiation. It is. You don't always, like, people hear Dave Dombrowski say, oh, he's not trying, you know, they're not trying to do anything too big. And they believe him. Why? Because he told the media? Like, I I don't understand why we get all high and mighty. Like, when a guy in a front office right before the trade deadline tells the media something, we take it as gospel. And, and I ask, well, why do you take it as gospel? They're like, well, they told this reporter. This is a very well-respected reporter. I don't give a fuck how respected the reporter is. It's not, it's, the, the guy's not, the GM or the president of baseball operations isn't breaking a law if he, if he lies or sort of bends the truth as part of a public, public negotiation with a well-respected national reporter or local reporter who gives a shit. We, did, we put these reporters sometimes on a pedestal. I'm like, everybody settle the fuck down. Like, you know, the guy walks around with a notepad and a pen and a recorder. I'm not trying to knock all reporters because I was one of, of those people one time having to do that. And I respect their job because I know they work hard. And I, I especially know the grind of covering a Major League Baseball team. Holy shit. You don't know a grind like Major League Baseball beat reporters. 
I mean, they these guys grind. I don't even know. I don't know how they do it. I could never do it. I don't know how they do it. You you literally have to be absolutely in love with it. You have to. And I don't even know how you could be in love with it based on the grind that is the schedule of a beat writer in Major League Baseball and a reporter. It's tough. But I don't care how tough it is or how well-respected they are. That doesn't mean the guys that are talking to them have to tell them the truth or that I have to believe it just because this guy's telling me it was that's what he, he was told. I'm sorry. Dave Dabrowski says he's not working on anything big. Even if he doesn't do anything big, I don't believe him. Dave Dombrowski wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't trying to work on something big between now and Monday, right? And from what we know out of Dave Dombrowski's mentality is that he's kind of a savage when it comes to trades, isn't he? He's a savage. That's what I consider him. So I'm keeping my eye on that situation. Dave Dombrowski's not sitting back done. He's he's trying. I mean, he might not be able to make a move, but he's definitely trying. I, I don't believe him when he says... He's not trying to do anything big anymore. I don't believe that for one second. So we'll keep an eye out for it. The big name that's out there is Chris Sale. Is he going to get traded? I don't know. Here's what I do know. This jersey thing, cutting up the jersey, people need to relax. Like, people need to calm down about this. I'm watching some of these shows on ESPN. You know, they got this block from like 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. where people just say shit before they think. And... uh, you know, like, they did a segment on the Chris Sale. I think it was, like, Marcellus Wiley. And they go back, and they're showing all these teams with these ugly uniforms. And they're having a conversation. As if Chris Sale cut the jerseys up because they were ugly. Like, these people believe that. How? Here's the deal. You're a fucking idiot. And a moron, if you think Chris Sale cut the jerseys up because of how they look in a mirror. You think he put it on, stood in the mirror, and said, Oh, I look terrible in this? I'm cutting them up? We're not wearing this? Like, you're kidding me, right? They're up, I'm watching ESPN yesterday, and they're doing a debate on Chris Sale and how childish it is to cut up the jerseys based on how they look. And I'm like... I, I mean, sometimes I don't think we're on the same planet when I watch that fucking station. I, honestly, I don't know where they get some of these people, and I don't know what they talk about before the show. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's fake. I don't know if they're trying to get people like me worked up. But the very last thing that Chris Sale cares about with that jersey, or that cutting of the jerseys, is the look of the jersey, okay? It's, it's the last thing. If you think he cares about how it looked, you're an idiot. Please. Now, Chris Sale came out with a statement. I don't know if it was yes last night, this morning. It's out there. And it was out there after I recorded yesterday's podcast. But what I did yesterday was I defended Chris Sale because I told you. He cut the jerseys up because he, he walks in. He sees them. They got these, you know, they're these big heavy jerseys. They got these goofy collars on them. I mean, it's like a polo shirt, like a college shirt. He's not going... You know, he, he's not going to, like, a, a meeting, right? He's not going to a 9-to-5 job. He's going out to throw a baseball the best of his ability. If this guy doesn't want to wear a collared polo shirt on the mound, I don't blame him. And, in fact, the organization should be doing everything they can to make sure that their ace, their top dog, feels comfortable on the mound. If not for their own team, 
for the fact that you want him to continue his success so that, you know, you can go out and get a just a king's ransom farm at the deadline. Like, you know, the team's upset. They're trying to send a message. Uh, Chris Sale might have flipped out. I don't know how much he flipped out. I know he cut the jerseys, but, I mean, he cut the jerseys not because of how they looked, but because of how they felt. I told you that yesterday, so that's why I defended him. I have no problem with it. The guy cut the jerseys because he wants to win. Like I And, and people are like, oh, he's a baby. All he cares about is how he looks. It does nothing to do with how he looks. People say, well, just go out there and pitch. You throw a baseball, you know what I mean? You don't get to choose. But... <laughs> It, you don't get it. You don't get it. It's about how you feel. There's nobody else on, on... It's one thing if, like, the third baseman says, you know what, I can't wear this. I don't feel good when I play third. This game is about starting pitching. If Chris... If your starting pitcher, who's your ace, who's your top dog, feels uncomfortable in any situation, as an organization, you need to do whatever it takes to make him feel comfortable. Is he a, is he a crybaby or a prima donna? Well... I mean, he's your ace, and you should want him feeling good. And if it just means wear another jersey, because if you've ever been in a major league clubhouse, you know the team has like 18 jerseys hanging up in everyone's locker. It would not be difficult to make a change. Now, you said, you, you know, business, because of the business, you had to wear them. Well, everybody was already, I mean, in the building, right? Everybody already bought their tickets. Are there really people going to the game? And I know they're doing giveaways, but you can still do the giveaways. So he cut the jerseys because apparently, based on what he said now today, is because they, the organization tried to make it about the business first. I'm going to read you Chris Sale's quote. He didn't apologize. Every, every headline is like, Chris Sale apologizes. But he didn't really apologize. But I'm fine with it. I'm not looking for an apology. Like, I saw a Ken Rosenthal tweet. You know, the the headline of his column yesterday, Fox Sports, he was like, Chris Sale needs to apologize. Oh, shut the fuck up. Would you? I mean, everybody needs to settle down. These Some of these people just, like, do you not understand? Like, this isn't some Joe Schmo schmuck fifth starter who is, like, you know, just flipping out in a clubhouse throwing scissors at people. Like, this is Chris Sale... Didn't want to wear a certain jersey. And I don't blame him because the thing sucked. Okay? And it has nothing to do with how it looks. Here's Chris Sale's quote. It says, quote, I have regret because I played 33 times a year at most in the regular season. So I put a lot of emphasis on when I play and I take a lot of pride in the work that I do. When I can't or don't do that, yeah, I have disappointment in myself for not being there for my guys. Do I regret standing up for what I believe in? Absolutely not. Do I regret saying business should not be first before winning? Absolutely not. And quote, that's Chris Sale. And he kind of throws the manager under the bus a little. Here's his quote on Robin Ventura. Who I don't even, I mean, I guess I don't even know how the guy has a job still. But, but here's the deal. Here's the quote. It says, quote, Robin is the one who has to fight for us in that department. If the players don't feel comfortable 100% about what we're doing to win the game and we have an easy fix, it was as easy as hanging up another jersey and everyone was fine. For them to put business first over winning, that's when I lost it. I agree agree with everything he's saying. And if you don't, I don't understand what you're thinking. 
This is what Sale now tells MLB.com. He says, quote, when I saw that there was something in the way of that 100% winning mentality, I had an issue. I try to bring it up and say, hey, listen, these are my thoughts and concerns. And they got pushed away because of the business deal that was set in place. I'll never understand why we need to do something on the business side of the field that might impede us winning a game. He continues, the 76 uniforms are uncomfortable and unorthodox. I didn't want to go out there and not be at the top of my game in every aspect that I need to be in. Not only that, but I didn't want anything to alter my mechanics. There's a lot of different things that went into it. Looking bad had absolutely zero to do with it. Nothing. End quote. And this is all stuff that should be obvious. But for some reason, to some people in the media and fans, it wasn't obvious. This is the most obvious thing. The guy didn't want to wear these heavy, unorthodox jerseys with collars on them. I wouldn't either. And if you're raised to, if the Red Sox, you know, if David Price, and I know David Price, he's been disappointing this year. But if he's like, you know what? I can't wear this certain throwback jersey with this collar. Guess what you do as an organization? You say, hey, we're not going to wear them. And if he cuts them up, what do you, you suspend them? I mean, look, Chris Sale, I get it. He's in a different, right now, different level in price because Sale's pitching so well and price isn't. But it's just, to me, Chris Sale didn't feel comfortable with wearing a collared shirt on the mound. I don't blame him. I don't. And if you think it had something to do with the look, right? Or you think he's like a big crybaby? I mean, just I, I, I can't help you. Read his quotes. It should jump off the page and you should say, oh, that makes sense. And it should have made sense before he even said anything. But since it didn't, I just, I, it's just laughable. There's a lot of idiots out there. Seriously. Like, I'm watching Marcellus Wiley yesterday. Oh, the love. They look. I mean, I've seen jerseys that have looked worse than that. It's not about the look, you idiot. Okay? It's not. And this isn't some positional player. This is a starting pitcher. He's got the ball every single pitch of the game when his team's in the field. I mean, it's not a it's not a difficult concept, but some people couldn't grasp it. Finally, I told you there's a piece of NBA news. Uh, wrapping it up because the studio is 120 degrees. I this this I I blast the AC sometimes, but sometimes I got to shut it off. Literally, I, I lose 10 pounds a day in this fucking place. Um. Oh, man, it's tough. Tough life. NBA news. The Cavaliers and their coach, Tyron Lue, have agreed to a five-year, $35 million extension at seven mil a season, but the first four years fully guaranteed. The fifth year is a team option. Uh, must be nice. Seven million a season to be the assistant coach, right? Uh, I mean, you know, LeBron's the head coach, right? So, not a bad job. Not a bad role, not a bad contract for Tyron Lue, who is now a world champion coach in the NBA. So I guess I'll say congratulations on the new deal. Five years, 35 mil. I'm here five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all forms of social media. I am out. Talk to you soon.